Morning, everyone. Uh, it is exciting to be back with you, and winter is definitely coming. Uh, we are feeling that chill in the air. Maybe it's harder to get up in the morning. Well, at least it is for me. Uh, but it's it's just so exciting to uh, share again with you. And we are starting a new series in Romans uh, this week, and it's probably going to take us a good amount of time. And because Romans is so rich and it's so deep, we're probably going to chunk it out into sort of a few weeks at a time, and then have a break and a few weeks at a time, because we want to get the most out of this beautiful book of the Bible uh, that we can. And so I'd love to pray and we are going to dive into it this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are close. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you that it is never changing. Uh, Thank you that it is life-giving every time we read it. It's new and fresh all the time. And I pray that as we dive into this book of Romans that is so rich, that is so deep, I pray that we would get everything that we can out of it, that you'd guide us and lead us, Holy Spirit. And as we dive into it today, I pray that you would speak with such clarity. You'd get us excited for what you want to do in our hearts, in our lives, in our sights, in the church, in the next few weeks and months ahead. In your powerful, wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, yeah, we're we're just so pumped for the series. And the reason why I feel it's so important, and as a team, why we've been praying and saying Romans feels like it, is because it's so easy for us in life to have an incorrect focus. You see, we can give all our focus to minor things and miss out on the major big picture. We can invest our lives into things that don't matter as much as other areas and it's at the expense of other things. We can do this in our everyday life. We can focus on, you might know this as well, uh, if you love doing puzzles here and I love puzzles. So whether we're on holiday, we'll buy one and, and, and we pop past every now and then and we, we do the puzzle. We just love doing puzzles and it's easy to focus so much in on one little aspect of a puzzle that you forget to step back and see the picture for what it is and for the beauty of the entire picture instead of focusing just on one. We can zero in on one little detail of our businesses and try to, try to really focus in on one tiny aspect of business without zooming out and seeing the big picture of the business as a whole and where it's going in the future and where the growth is going and what God wants to do through our businesses. And so this is part uh, of, of the struggle we face in life. It's, it's just so possible to major on the minors and to minor on the majors. The same can be when it comes to our faith. We do that often. And so we need God's perspective on what's major and what is minor. And that's really my prayer as we dive into Romans. Because you see, Romans is a beautiful, expansive view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It encourages us to see the whole picture of God's plan for our lives, collectively for the earth through all of history past, all of history future, for your life and for mine. It's a beautiful, expansive picture. And it's got a strong, clear theme running through it that we're going to see now in the introduction and all the way through Romans. It's got this beautiful theme of the fact that God is a righteous judge. He's perfect in holiness. But because of that, 
He gives us the saving righteousness, the saving perfection, the saving freeing from our sin that we see in Jesus Christ, in the good news of Jesus. You see, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see judgment for our sin. And at the same time, we see this wonderful love and grace and mercy, not getting what we do deserve on the cross. And so Romans is considered to be the clearest and deepest explanation of the Christian faith in one book of scripture. You won't find another one that more inclusively and holistically helps us to see what the gospel is all about, the good news of Jesus. And so there are some things that Paul doesn't cover in this letter to the Roman church. For example, he doesn't cover anything about when Jesus might return or the end times. He doesn't cover a lot of what, uh, what, what he, he explores in terms of church structures and Colossians and Ephesians. He doesn't cover that in Romans as well. But what he does cover is really the foundation of our faith. And so it's just vital that we get everything that we can from Romans and also that we see his purpose for leaving things out and why exactly he he took it as just a groundbreaking book uh, of our theological beliefs. So what were his reasons and his purpose for writing this beautiful book? Well, firstly, let's look at the situation on the ground. What was actually happening? What's the context? What was happening in Rome? What was happening with Paul at the time of writing Romans? Well, most theologians agree that this letter was written by Paul from the city of Corinth. So this was to the eastern side of Rome. And in all likelihood, he was based there and he was serving the church there. And at the same time, he was getting to write about to the church in Rome that he cared for and hadn't visited yet. And the expectation of what people think is that this was written about AD 57. And again, we spoke about this before in the defense of scripture. What's amazing is Jesus died AD 33. And so he's writing this and it's, it's just over 20 years after Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. So the people that he's writing to and all of these writings are happening in the lifetime of people who saw Jesus face to face, who probably some of them watched his death, experienced the resurrection. There is no other book in history, no other historical writing that has writing and, and, and proof so close to the actual events. I absolutely love it. And so at the time of writing, Paul was actually getting ready to head to Jerusalem to deliver some food supplies and support that had been collected from other churches. So he was getting ready to head to Jerusalem to help there. Um, but he really wanted to get to the Roman church and to invest in them because he saw this. And we'll talk about this a bit later. But he saw Rome as a springboard to mission work to the West towards Spain and those sorts of areas. So he really saw Rome as a significant outpost for the gospel to go beyond. So we'll dive into that in a bit, because what was his purpose in writing this? We know where he was writing from, the timelines of it, why, you know, in some the context of it, but what was his purpose in writing? It's interesting that we don't actually know who started the church in Rome. So, so we don't actually know, but it may have begun as the Jewish church or as Jewish people returned from Jerusalem after Pentecost. So in Acts 2, it describes what happened on Pentecost. The, Jesus said, wait, the helper is going to come. And uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And there would have been people coming there uh, from, from all over the, the place. And then most likely there were Jewish Christ followers who came, experienced the Pentecost, and then moved back to Rome where they were living and probably started up churches on the back of that. But no one's exactly sure. Now, over time, 
in Rome, Gentiles, so non-Jewish people like you and I, if you're not from Jewish descent, would have become Christ followers in Rome. And as that happened, they would have obviously started to join the existing churches that were there. And obviously this brought about some interesting uh, dynamics because you had Jewish people with different origins of faith and different beliefs and different traditions. And you had Gentile people with none of the traditions of the Jewish people, knowing none of the history, but coming to faith. And now these two are mixing together in church circles and it would have been a recipe for confusion and for conflict. We also know in AD 49 uh, that the Jews were actually expelled from Rome because of conflicts around Jesus. So because there was so much conflict that was happening about Jesus, his death and resurrection, who he was, the, um, the governors at the time actually expelled the Jewish people from Rome. So they were sent away from Rome uh, in AD 49. And so this meant that this church that had been a blend of Gentiles and Jewish people suddenly had no Jews in it. And so the Gentiles would have kept meeting as Christians, right? They would have kept following uh, as, as Christians, but they wouldn't have cared about the traditions and the past of the Jewish people. So they would have followed Jesus with what they knew. And so they continued and, and developed the church. And then what happened is, is over time, Jews started to trickle back into Rome. They were expelled and over time, uh, sort of things eased. They would have traveled and trickled back and they would have come and seen a completely different church to what they knew when they left. Now, this is not exactly church related, but I remember I worked for an organization um, for, for many years doing uh, youth camps and, uh, and, and leadership and team building. And then obviously I have been out of that for a good now, probably six, seven years. And uh, I love the fact that I, I get called to go back and, and speak on camps or, or speak at missions that I was part of back in the day. And it runs completely different to how I did it. The campsite looks completely different. In fact, it looks an awful lot better than it did in my time because the person running it now uh, is just so much better at, at what it looks like. But how camp runs, how missions run, it's so different. And I could easily go, but, but, but look at what it was when, when I was doing it and look how it was then. But actually things change and it's not that they change for the worse at all. In fact, they often change for the better. It's just different. So these Jewish people would have experienced this difference when they arrived back. But they would have said, well, these Gentile people, none of them are caring about our history and our heritage. And obviously that makes sense because the Gentile people didn't know that history or heritage. So why would they worry about it? And and, and why are they not following the rules and regulations which we used to abide by and which we've always abided by, the things that we eat and the things we don't eat and how we worship God and how we don't. And so there was these conflicts happening, which is why Paul felt the need to write, and he would have heard about this and address this in this church in Rome that was growing and thriving in a key city, but to address it because he had two different people groups who were really struggling to unite under Christ. So a few key reasons why he wrote it. Firstly, Paul wanted Romans to be a letter that united people around what truly matters, the major, not the minor, around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you see this flow, he wanted to unite all people groups to see the fact that they're the same under Jesus. The good news of Jesus is primary. The rest is secondary for you and I. The good news of Jesus is primary. It's what we should care about more than anything else. It never gets old. Other things are secondary. This book, it's why it's the fullest explanation of the gospel, um, because Paul really wanted this church to understand and from beyond as a launch pad to understand what the gospel was all about and, um, and, and who it was for. And so when it comes to Romans, I think the challenge that I have for, for us as, as church is, 
is to really dive deep into the richness and the beauty of this book. I'd love you to be reading this as we go along uh, through Romans. Read it yourself. And uh, it's, 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 it's academic language. Paul was, 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 was well into academia. But, but dive in, learn, get a study Bible. Really get the most out of this book. Dive into the difficult parts. There's some difficult parts in Romans. There's some parts that might make you sort of squirm or be a bit squeamish because it is just so rich and so deep. There's wonderful, beautiful parts. It's an amazing book and it will help you and I in so many ways to stand strong and firm in our faith. And so uh, that was his purpose in writing and it should be our purpose in receiving as well. Secondly, since Paul was a Jew, but he felt God calling him to reach the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, it was so important for him to write Romans to explain his heart to the Jewish Christians there so they didn't feel hard done by or man, this guy's a Jew. Why doesn't he care about us? I mean, this, this guy's planting churches everywhere and he's a Jew, but he just, he just doesn't really seem to care that much about what we're going through. And he needed to write it to explain he really felt Jesus calling him to a specific person type, a specific people group for them not to get offended, to understand the call that God had on his life. And so this would ensure that there were no misunderstandings um, with people feeling that they didn't have the focus from him they expected, particularly the church in Rome. Thirdly, uh, just two more and why he wrote, uh, he also wanted the Roman church, as I shared a bit, to be a powerful launch pad of the good news of Jesus into neighboring areas west of Rome, which was areas that he hadn't been to before. He'd been spending much time in the east on his missionary journeys and many bases over there, but he knew that Rome was a significant place to get to because in that time, Rome was the capital of the empire. I mean, Rome was the city and was only second to Jerusalem when it came to important cities of the world. Imagine that. Out of the cities of the world at that time, Rome was the key seat of the empire and Jerusalem was known as the most important city of all in that place. So if church could be established there, it would be so significant for the growth into other areas. And in many respects, we would say the same in Zimbabwe for us as Harare. You know, there's, there's so many significant cities around Zimbabwe, but, but what happens in a capital city is just so much flows out from it and affects other places. I've been following a lot from a, a person, and, and we, we, we love it. If you ever want to listen to someone who has a great understanding, philosophical understanding of the gospel, a person called Tim Keller, you can find him on YouTube, and uh, he uh, has spent a lot of time uh, investing and building churches in New York. And he says the reason why is because he sees this trickle effect of the gospel that happens from cities out into rural areas. And so, uh, that, you know, in many ways, that's how Paul saw Rome. Maybe how, in a sense, we see Harari saying, Lord Jesus, if your church is strong and if it's developing and it's growing, in a sense, in a hub, how much more can that impact and serve outlying areas? So that was one of his other reasons. And then finally, the church in Rome would likely only support Paul financially and and sort of with their prayer support into his missionary journeys in the West if they really knew his heart and his beliefs. I mean, he had never met those guys, right? So it's really hard just from hearing about this person. uh, There was no WhatsApp. There was no telephone calls, no video conferencing. This was just letters. So for guys who'd never met him, it was so important that they had this really robust understanding of what he was about so that if he traveled to Rome, and if he sent people to help there and build the church there, they would already readily say, man, we know this guy and we trust him and we love him and we're so happy to support him as he takes the gospel west. So those are some key purposes in writing the book. 
And as we progress through the book, you'll notice that he addresses some specifics that were relevant to the Jewish and the Gentile people of the day. These may not be as relevant to us, but I think we can get so much from them. It's important we see these issues they were facing. I mean, you'll see questions as we go through Romans like, Romans like, can you be right with God if you obey the Old Testament law? The Jewish people came out of the fact that for them to get close to God and to know God, they had to follow rules and regulations. And in a sense, those rules and regulations were actually to show that you can never be perfect, that you can never get close to God on your own. But they had grown up in this, the Mosaic law under Moses. Moses was the one who God spoke to and he wrote down these laws to help them live and operate in a healthy way. Now, they were, Jesus had come and Jesus had said, listen, actually anyone can come to Christ. Those laws I fulfilled, none of those laws are bad. All those laws are good, but the point is that they won't make you close to God. It's only through me on the cross. But now what was the role of those laws? Did they matter anymore? Did they help them get close to God? This is what they were grappling with. And so what does this law play in identifying our sin? What's the importance of the law? And it is important because the law shows us we do have sin and we can never live perfect with God. And there's also healthy rules for living as well. Other things that they were dealing with is Abraham was considered like the father of their nation. And they had been taught this and they'd been shown this the whole way through. He was sort of the father of the Jewish people. And so he, he, was, he was someone in history that they looked to as having huge significance for them as Jewish people. Now, Paul addresses, well, would the Gentile people be considered part of the same family of faith because Jesus died for all people? You know, you had the Jewish people going, no, no, Abraham, he is our man. This is, this is, this guy's significant to us, but not to you guys because you're not good enough. And Paul was coming along saying, no, no, guys, actually, what Jesus has done is he said we all get to be part of God's family. And so we all have this amazing heritage. There would have been stuff for them to deal with. Uh, if people came, uh, if people can come to know Christ, what does that mean for the future of Israel, God's people? You know, if everyone can suddenly become Christians, the Jewish people always thought and knew they were the chosen people of God. But now if these Jewish people, uh, these Gentile people in our church, if they can somehow also be God's people, how does that work? I mean, we thought we were special. These guys aren't special. How does that work? So there's lots of pride intermixed in there. And Paul addresses this. Um, and then he also addressed things like, should Christians observe the Old Testament food laws? And how should we relate to people who really care about those versus who don't? You know, you've got Gentile people, they ate whatever they wanted to eat. They didn't mind you. You've got Jewish people who are saying, no, you know, pork is still dirty to us. We can't eat this. We can't eat this. And uh, they hadn't yet, you know, then obviously Peter has this vision where God says everything's clean and there's discussions over that. But in Romans, Paul's coming in and saying, actually, it does, is this really a gospel issue? No, this is a secondary issue rather than primary. But, but how do we outwork this? So you just see these amazing things that come about today. So today we're just looking at, I've been giving this overview of Romans, and we're just going to look into the introduction which sets the scene for the series in Romans for next week and beyond. And this is a long intro. In fact, it's the longest intro of any of Paul's letters. And the reason is, is because, as I said earlier, you see that Paul's never been to Rome. And so in the, the trailer of the movie, he's wanting to get across the whole story so people take note. So that's what this introduction is like. It's, it's like the, the trailers that you see when you're at the movies, gives you an overview of Romans, but by no means the whole story. If uh, he could have, he would have probably sent this as a one-minute update on his phone and sent it out or a one-minute clip to the church in Rome saying, hey guys, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm coming to share. So if you have your Bibles, love you to turn. We've just got a few verses that we're going to look at uh, in Romans 1 as we 
dive into this short little introduction. So it starts off with this. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now we could easily just read through. I mean, this is just a greeting, but Paul was incredibly intellectual. He was well studied. He would have the equivalent of a a doctorate now. He was the height of academia. He was the height of mental awareness. He was incredibly uh, sharp person. In fact, before he came to Christ, he was sort of the elite when it came to the Jewish Pharisees, the Jewish followers and studiers. He was at the top of this. He had achieved so much, but look at how he introduces himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And that is all any of us need to be known as. Craig, a servant of Christ Jesus. How can we puff ourselves up when we compare ourselves to the wonder and majesty of Jesus? This word for servant that Paul says, he says, Paul, a servant, it can also mean a slave. And in fact, he talks in many of his other writings about being a slave for Jesus uh, in those. But none of these are meant to be like a slave in a, or a servant in a controlling, forceful sense. That's not what he's getting across in this. It's a voluntary laying down of his life, my life, your life into the hands of our great king. Friends, that is the best place to live our lives from. We're nothing special at all, but we have the joy of knowing and serving someone who is. And so that's my prayer that we would live as Paul did with this amazing humility and this amazing love for Jesus, that we would willingly lay our lives down for the sake of the king, to serve him in what he's doing on the earth. That's how he starts off his letter. And then he says, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, Paul was the only person accepted as an apostle by the Christ followers of the time, the other apostles of the time, who had been directly commissioned by Jesus. So they were commissioned by Jesus. Paul wasn't. Uh, And then he's obviously persecuting Christians. He's on the other side. And then on the road to Damascus, he gets blinded by the risen King Jesus. And he says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And on the back of that, he becomes a follower of Christ and he gets to where he is today. Now, it took some time for those apostles who were terrified of him and were sort of in hiding and people were getting killed by him to actually trust that what had happened to him really happened. But as a result, and just the supernatural appearing of Jesus and the work of Paul and the miraculous nature, he was accepted into the apostles, although he wasn't in that first graph. So he was expected in, uh, accepted in. And so he says, I was called to be an apostle. Jesus appeared to me and all the other apostles know this. I was called to be a sent out one. Apostle meaning a sent out one for Jesus. Uh, His life was turned around. And so um, he says, I was called to be this, but this word calling is so interesting. Called to be an apostle. It means, if if you look at the Greek, it means invited, invited by someone into something you're calling, summoned to a position or a placement in life or coming to faith. So he's here called to be apostle. He's not talking about coming to faith, but God calls and draws us to give our lives to him. And then on top of that, there's another invitation that Jesus hands out to you and I. Wherever you're on the journey of faith today, if you don't know Christ, he's calling you to himself to give your life to him. If you do know Christ, he has a calling for your life. There's an invitation to more. There's an invitation to knowing him more and living out your call more. So God calls and draws you into this life he has for you. He invites you into a unique purpose and plan. And that unique purpose and plan will always revolve around the Great Commission, people coming to faith. That's what we're all called to. But in the midst of that, there'll be unique giftings. So Paul was called to this, but he was uniquely called to the Gentile people. And you can see his giftings in writing and 
spoken word wasn't necessary. He has, in fact, sometimes people fell asleep when he was talking. But, uh, but, but he was called to a specific people group. The same will be the case for you with your gifts and abilities. It's something that God has for you to fulfill, for us to be set apart. You see how it says they're called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so right now, it's so important that you and I know Jesus has called us to himself. Then once we become Christ followers, we are called to be set apart people, different people, other people in society. What reason? For the gospel of God so people can come to faith. So questions today. Do you know what God has called you to? Do you know? Have you explored that? Are you open to God speaking to you as he did to Paul on the road to Damascus? And are you prepared to walk into something new and exciting that might be different or to just see your life, your family, your, your marriage, your business as a tool, as a means to answer God's gospel call? It's so important that we know. It's so important that we do. And so that's what I'm praying for you as a team. That's what we're praying for you. But we want to see everyone at Harvest living out God's call on their lives, your unique purpose. And if you don't know that yet, chat to us or, or ask God. He'll show you. It'll usually involve what you love. It'll involve what you're good at. It'll involve opportunities where you are. Um, he, he calls us into things that we're naturally good at because he's wired us for it. There'll probably be some risk elements. There'll probably be a bit of stepping out uh, in faith. But, but you'll know it. You'll know it deep down in your heart. But why do we need to know our call? Why is it so important? Why was it so important for Paul? Well, it's because battles and persecution will come. The Children's Church at the moment is, is learning Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 20. It's about the fact that we live in a spiritual battle. And Paul went through the most horrific of persecutions. The most horrific. You can read about in Scripture. Uh, he shouldn't have really survived some of what he went through. So why did he keep going? Because he knew his call in Jesus. Why will you keep going when persecution and the battle comes? The only time you'll keep going is if you know God's call and purpose on your life. If you don't, you'll bail out. If you don't, when tough things come, uh, you're, you're like what we covered in Luke. You're like a house built on the sand that gets washed away. But if you know your calling in Jesus, if you know what he's called you to, you're like the house built on the rock. You're like a ship that stays steady. You've got, an, you've got a proper anchor there. And as a result, you stay firm in what he's called you to when trial comes. Don't pull the plug. Don't shift under difficulty. Don't let Satan get in there. Stand your ground. Go for it and courage. That happens when you know God's call on your life. Last little bit. This uh, gospel of God, it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Can you see, Paul? Commas, commas, fullness. I mean, this gets confusing. That's why we have to break it down into tiny pieces because uh, that's how full he gets. Um, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so this is Paul giving his promo to the letter. It's his promo to the reason for writings. As I said earlier, if the letter of Romans was a movie, these few verses would be the trailer. They show the flow of the chapters to come. You notice before how he explains just how good this gospel is. It comes about through God's son, Jesus Christ. And then he explains Jesus' descent, explains where he came from. It says there, um, concerning his son, that's Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And then he was declared to be the son of God in power. 
And so he's saying that Jesus was there before the foundation of the world. And then he was secretly working in the Old Testament anyway. It's not like Jesus only suddenly came about when he was born on earth. No, he's been the son from eternity past. But then he came in this amazing human form so that he could identify us. We could identify with him and he could ultimately pay the price on the cross for us. But Jesus is this beautiful picture of the greater King David. I want to read from uh, Michael Eaton. I had the privilege of uh, hearing from him uh, before he died. Uh, he uh, helped with a number of churches in Nairobi. Uh, just an amazing uh, writer. And I remember him saying, he has this book called The Power of Prophetic Preaching. I remember him saying, you know, I just don't prepare for sermons on Sundays. And we all sat there going, what do you mean? Like we all prepare and this is ridiculous. How do you not prepare? He's like, well, you see, the thing is, is I probably um, each day I get up at about four in the morning and then I probably spend about um, about four to five hours um, uninterrupted from sort of four to eight uh, or nine just with Jesus. And I read and I study and I ask the Holy Spirit to speak and, and I write down notes. He's like, so after doing that for about six days, he says for about 24 hours, I'm pretty clear on what Jesus wants me to say on a Sunday. And so he just goes for it in the spirit. But he's going for on the back of 25 hours with Jesus, just getting all that he can from Jesus. So uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely do prepare. But he wrote these amazing commentaries. And uh, this is what he says here um, about this whole Jesus from the line of David. I love it. It says, he came in the line of King David. David was a great soldier. Jesus is a kind of spiritual conqueror. David conquered earthly enemies. Jesus conquered all enemies, spiritual and earthly David ruled over all Israel. Jesus rules over all his people. David was a king anointed by the Spirit. So David was a pattern of Jesus. It was predicted in the Old Testament that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, David's city. He is a king for us. He will conquer our sins and he leads us into all of the blessings of his kingdom. And so that's why it's so important that we always see Jesus in this line of David, because he's a new and true and better King David. But we see pictures of Jesus in King David in the Old Testament. So I absolutely love those readings. Um, and so what does this amazing work of grace from Christ bring about in our lives? Look what it says here for you. Uh, verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Look what happens as a result to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So why did Jesus come? Why did he pay this great price for you and for me? It's so that we would willingly follow him every day, not because we have to, but because we want to. I don't follow Jesus perfectly. There's loads of sin and mess in my life um, and and, and, and I'm on a journey just the same as everyone, deal with issues, deal with sin, deal with brokenness um, in life. But why do I willingly obey Jesus? It's because he just loves me and he died on the cross for me. It's not because I have to, but I want to. Why do I want to live a pure life and a, an honorable life and, and a sold out life for Jesus? It's because he's just given everything for me. It's, uh, it's our prayer for you as well. And why do we do it? It's not for us. It's for the sake there of people coming to faith in all the nations. Maybe you're listening here today and you're in the nation of Zim. Maybe it's about you coming to faith, but maybe you answering God's call will be about you reaching out to neighborhoods and cities and other nations and them coming to faith because Jesus died for all nations to know him. All who God has called will come to faith and we get to be a part of it. You and I can never save anyone. <laughs> we can't. We can't change people's hearts. 
but it's a privilege when Jesus wants to use us to bring that about. And I love getting to be a part of that. To all who God has called, what a joy to be part of that process. In the final close off and then I'll pray. It says in verse seven, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful close off to his introduction to them? It's full of encouragement um, and upliftment where he's just saying there, you guys are loved by Jesus. You are loved by God in Rome. I haven't met you yet. I want to get to see you, but I want you to know you are loved. And then on the end there he says, and you're called to be saints. He loves you and I, but he calls us to be different in the world. That's the definition of saints. The definition in Greek is set apart ones. So Jesus loves us, but he doesn't call us to be the same. He takes us on a journey to become more like him. And that means that we look different to those in society who don't know him. And then as we do that, Jesus brings us this amazing sense of undeserved kindness and grace, overflowing mercy, abounding peace. And that's what the world's after. The world is after peace and contentment. It's only found in Jesus. It's what the Roman church needed and it's what we need today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this, this book of Romans that Paul wrote through the guidance of the Holy Spirit that we know is your word, it's so deep, it's so rich, it's so challenging, it's so inspiring. I pray that as we look at what we've gone through today in the introduction and as we dive into it in the coming weeks, Father, I want to thank you that you are so gracious and you're so kind. I want to thank you that you paid a great price for us on the cross not just for ourselves, but so that many would come to faith as you work through us. Thank you that you've called people here, listening to a life of purpose and impact and power. I trust that you would show that to people, you would show that to us, that we would live out your call. And as a result, many, many, many people would come to faith. So I pray that for us. And I pray that we would really dive into this in the week ahead. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us. We are so excited about what God is doing. Thank you for being part of the family. Pray that you have a brilliant week ahead as we head into chilly winter. Thanks so much and have a great day.